Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Hearing great stories about, you know, people that have um, subscribed to the YouTube channel. They say that they are scrolling through and they see fishing and then there's Bron on there <laughs> in their fishing feed. And that's really exciting. So I just encourage you to like and subscribe, like and subscribe uh, to our channel. Um, you know, you, it might be like you're, I was watching a kid playing a video game, don't ask me why, on YouTube. And he said, now you guys, you've been watching, but you haven't subscribed yet. And so I just felt like channeling him today and just encouraging us all to subscribe so that we can stay abreast of everything that's happening. Um, now, I just wanted uh, us to think about a story that maybe you are very familiar with, maybe not. It's about three young men in the time of the Babylonian exile. And it's where actually... Uh, they get carried off in slavery because their nation of Judah has been invaded. And actually there's four of them, but they get carried off into exile. Uh, They get put into slavery. And the book of Daniel calls them by their Babylonian names, which is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not Abednego. And um, and they're they're, they're there in this uh, nation. Uh, It's completely foreign. Everything about it is foreign. The culture is foreign. Um, They're in involuntary servitude in that place. And and the king at the time, King Nebuchadnezzar, makes a huge, great gold statue and says, I want you all to bow down to this statue. And, uh, and it makes it law that you have to bow down to this statue. And if you don't, then you're in big trouble. He puts a, makes a fiery furnace and he says, you'll get thrown into it if you don't bow down to this statue. Well, these uh, three men, these three young men, are, they're, they're faithful to their covenant loyalty to Yahweh, who is the God of Israel. We just call him God. Uh, the Jewish Christian God, we called that, but they called him Yahweh. And they said, we will not bow to any God except to Yahweh. And so what happens is they get thrown into the fiery furnace and, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar is there, but he says, I see someone else in the fire with them. And it's like he's a son of God or, or one of the gods, or, but he recognized that something supernatural is going on. It's not just a person that's in the fire with them. It's someone else. And then they, get, they come out and they've been fully dressed, but there's no smell of smoke on them. And, and God gets glory and God gets praised. That's a crazy, amazing story. And we sing about it. There is another in the fire. Whoa, whoa. There is another. In the... Anyway, there's this other story and, um, about the fourth guy called Daniel. And by the time he comes along, is that echo just in my head? Okay. <laughs> if I need a handheld, someone just grab me a handheld if that's going to be easier. Um, the, so someone else, ca- whoa. And, and so Daniel comes along. And he's now been in that nation for generations. So it's gone from King Nebuchadnezzar to King Belshazzar to King Darius. And King Darius now has made a decree that everyone has to pray to him, no one else, but to him. Daniel continues to pray to his God. And Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den. God shuts up the mouth of the lions. And then he ends up coming out and, um, and he's whole and God gets the glory again. Here's the problem with me. My theology has a problem. With Daniel chapter 2, verse 19 to 23, and Daniel chapter 6, verse 16, and I'm going to read them for you as soon as my computer comes to life. But they might come on the screen, or they might not. Daniel chapter 19, verse 19 to 23, says this. Are you ready? No? No one's ready. Ready? Okay. Daniel chapter 2, verse 19 to 23. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. 
He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied up them and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Now my understanding of God and who he is and how much he loves his people has issue with that. Because why? Why did they get thrown into the fire in the first place? And it's kind of it's interesting that I read this week about when Jesus is on the waves and he's sleeping in the boat, that knowing how his story ends often has the power to tame it. So we know how this ends. I just told you how it ends. And so we kind of go, oh, that's a nice story. That's it. But this, in this account, here are these three men, and they've got to have all the courage to not bow down to this big golden statue, but decide to keep their covenant faithfulness to Yahweh. They, they have to have the courage to do that. And then also they get bound. Like, can you imagine how they're feeling? Can you imagine even as they were wanting to bow maybe down? And go, well, God understands their hearts. Like, sure enough, you know, it's not great, but God understands our hearts. He'll know if we bow down. He'll forgive us. He knows who we are. And maybe that's why we don't read of anyone else. Maybe that's what every other exiled person did. They were like, God knows our hearts. We'll just bow down the statue. It won't matter. But they said, no, we won't bow down. And, and then they're getting bound hand and foot. How did they feel? How did they feel when, when the people next to them perished as they threw them into the fire? How did that make them feel? I, I, I worry about that. Like, what kind of God allows that to happen? And then also in Daniel chapter 6, verse 16, it says, So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. Why? Why did Daniel have to be thrown in? We know how it ends, so we feel good about it. But at the time, how did Daniel feel? Did he feel like God had abandoned him? How did he feel when he was thrown into the den of lions? And, you know, I'd be happier if they just didn't get thrown in in the first place. Well, what about these four men actually carried off into exile? You know, what, one of the first things that would happen to young men carried off into exile is that they'd get neutered. They'd get emasculated. No sterilisation, no sanitation, no anaesthetic. And they would, that would happen to them. So whichever way you look at it, you might say, oh, God saved their lives. They didn't get killed in the invasion, in the exile. Well, then they were put into a life of involuntary servitude. How do we reconcile that as believers in God? How do we, how do we reconcile that? And so that's exactly what I want to talk about this morning. They refused to bow down. They were bound. They watched other people perish. Daniel did not get in the lion's den and do a Mick Dundee and just kind of look at the lions and do these ones. And no one under 40 understands the reference, but that's okay. Like, did he get in there and go, bees and dogs can smell fear. Bees and dogs can smell fear. I can't be afraid. I can't be afraid of these lions. They might do something. How, how, did, they, how did they cope? How did they cope even being carried off from the land that they were promised to them? What do we do? And I'm not here to answer that. Because to answer why do good things happen to bad people and why do bad things happen to good people, to answer why does God allow suffering, I'm sure if there was a definitive answer to that, we'd know about it by now. So instead, I'm going to ask the question and see if we can have a look at what do we do when we're offended by God? What do we do when we're offended by God, when our theology is so challenged that we're offended by God? What do we do when God doesn't act or react or not act at all when we want him to? How do we go with that? How do you go when a person does that to you? You know, it's said that the, 
offence is the gap between expectation and experience. And I think it was John Bevere that said that the people that are closest to us, they're the people that we have the most potential for offence with. So, for example, your workmate could say something to you about the way that you work, and you're like, eh, yeah, nah, whatever. But your boss says it, and it's completely different because you have a different expectation of your boss. And so the experience and expectation gap is vastly different. What about when it's a, um, you, you know, your boss could say something to you, it's like water off a duck's back, but one of your family members says that to you, and it's like, ah, oh, I had a bigger expectation of a family member. Or a family member could say something to you, it's like water off a duck's back, but your spouse says that to you, you're like, oh, I had a greater expectation of my spouse or my parent. What do we do with that gap generally? And then God, like we've got a massive expectation on God because he's God, he can do anything. And so that chasm between maybe our expectation and our experience has the potential to be so great that we just leave our shoelaces untied and we fall into that sucker. How does it look? I remember um, a, a person died in our community a couple of years ago and someone was buying flowers uh, for the family. And it was, you know, they died too young. It was an accident. It was not, it was not great. And as this person was buying flowers, the, the florist said, how could God do that? How could God do that? And, and the person that was buying flowers went, well, well, hang on, what about the other driver? What about the circumstances that was happening? Why do you immediately attribute that to God? But it's true. When we see that God isn't acting how we wanted him to act, we have the potential to get offended with him. So what do we do? I can kind of see two courses of action. Do we lower our expectations of God? We can most certainly do that. We just go, well, God doesn't work how he used to or Or God, you know, would just lower our expectations of him. Well, my friend wasn't healed, so I'm not going to trust him with my marriage. Or, um, you know, my parents got divorced, so so I'm not going to trust him with my future. We lower our expectations of what God will do. Or we can ignore our experience. We just kind of shove that away. We go, oh, well, you know, this happened and that was bad, but I just won't address it. I won't look at that at all because it's easier for me. There's less of a gap if I just ignore my experience. We rationalize it. We try to understand it. We try to do whatever we can to close the gap. A couple of weeks ago, I was doing the verse of the day stories on the YouVersion app. And um, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project was talking about Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3. And uh, this is generations before our four boys got carried off in exile. It's a prediction. It's a prophecy from Zephaniah, sorry, chapter 2, verse 3. It says this, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord, talking about the exile to come. Perhaps. Seek the Lord and maybe, maybe you'll be hidden. Like does perhaps instill great confidence in you? Does perhaps make you go, yeah. I'm going to seek the Lord. How do we live in the perhaps? And yet he says, still seek me. He says, maybe you'll get delivered or maybe you won't. Perhaps. How do we live in that perhaps? We might be spared, but those four boys didn't. They didn't die, sure, but they had a life that was very difficult. Perhaps. So how far does our trust and faith extend in God? I can tell you how far it will extend. It extends. This is how far you know it will extend to your worst moment. If you think about your worst moment, then you've been able to gauge how far your trust in God has extended to this point. You don't know how far it will extend beyond that because you haven't been there yet. 
And we believe for grace in that day when it comes. But you've trusted him to this point, to the point of your worst moment. And that's how far to this point it's extended. You know, I think um, about my mum. She, uh, as many of you know, she lost her husband. My dad, when I was a baby, had three small children. And uh, she found him. Um, he was electrocuted. She found him in the paddock. And the, the truck was on fire from the charge of the electricity that he had touched. And uh, she went back to, the, to her house. I know how far my mum's trust extends. Because she says that she heard God say in that moment, I knew this would happen and you will be okay. Now, did that mean that everything went swimmingly and all the questions were answered from that point? Absolutely not. Did it mean that she knew that God was with her from that point? Absolutely, yes. And she had an assurance from that point on. Then I got to the point where I was reading the Bible in my teenage years on the bus and I read this from the book of Psalms. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So here am I as a teenager thinking about my dad who had not lived beyond 37 and going, well, what? what? With long life I will satisfy him and show him my What? How do I reconcile that? Did, did my dad not love you, God? Because from what everyone says, he really, really loved you. What do I do with that scripture? And so what do we do with the scriptures? What do we do with these questions? What do we do? And, and, and I would hate that this message caused you to lower your expectations of God this morning. That would be the worst thing that happened. Lord, please just like wrap it all up and help people forget right now if that's what's going to happen. Let's not lower our expectations of God, but let's grapple and wrestle with the questions so that we don't just ignore our experience and and go, well, yeah, no, fine, fine. Let's have a wrestle. You know, we could reason out a scripture like that. We could ask, well, is that a rima or a logos? Is that a word for just that person who wrote that psalm who is purported to be Moses? And, or is it, is it for everybody now today? Like, what do we do? We, we reduce the scripture or we ignore the scripture. What do we do with that? And we grapple with it. That's exactly what we do. It's uh, my 40th birthday on Tuesday. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I know. I don't look a day over 47. But... um. But Daz is like, Daz has gone crazy. It's wonderful. Like, there's all these surprises in the air that I don't know about. It's, I've always gotten a present, but this is the first time there's been anything else. And I'm pumped. I'm so excited. And we've been married for 20 years. And for the first 10 years, I got wildly offended that he didn't do anything for my birthday. I got my hopes up every time, every Mother's Day, every birthday, and then there was just nothing, and I got so offended. What's he doing? And then for the last nine years, I've just kind of gone, oh, well, just because he hasn't come through for me in these ways doesn't mean he doesn't care about me. I can look at all these other ways that he's providing for me and looking after me. Why would I then say he doesn't care about me? Because on this day, he hasn't come through for me the way that I wanted him to. Let's just pause on that for a second. Why, when God doesn't come through for us in the way that we want him to, Do we negate all the ways that he's cared for us and provided for us across our lives and say, well, because you haven't come through for me here, that means you don't care for me. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because he hasn't come through for you in the way you wanted him to doesn't mean he no longer cares for you. Can you grasp that this morning? Can you be like Job in the wisdom book of Job? He says, though he slay me, 
yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Because here's what he absolutely does promise. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Through whatever you've gone through, through whatever gap that had the potential to create offence with God in your life, he has said, I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. It may not work out the way that you thought it would, but I will go through that thing with you and I will never leave you. And in fact, the writer of Hebrews is quoting from Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. It says, No man shall be able to stand before you, Joshua, all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And we know that from the book of Joshua that heavy losses were sustained on both sides. But God was with him right through that, from that day until the day that he died. He never, ever left him. I'll go through it with you. Psalm 37 verse 25 says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. It doesn't say no trouble. It doesn't say perfect life. It doesn't say healthy, wealthy or wise. It says that you, the righteous will never be forsaken. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And then Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, speaking to a group of people that he knew that if they put their trust in him, but undergo massive persecution. This is what he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I look around this room and I know many of your stories. I don't know them all, that's for sure. But I know many of them and I can know that there's been times that have been tremendously difficult where you thought you would perish but you were not destroyed where you were struck down but you were not crushed to the point of no return and you know that your trust and your faith in God has extended to those very worst moments and so you can know that he's going to be with you all the way to the other side so our boys this morning Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego we can learn from them because this is what they said in verse 16 of one of the chapters of Daniel. I think chapter 3, maybe. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. They said, our God is able and our God is willing. And so we're going to trust him with everything. And if he doesn't come through, then that's not the end anyway. If we perish, we perish because we'll just be with him anyway. If we die, it's going to be okay. He's able and he's willing and we'll trust him, but we're going to trust him regardless. If the outcome's good, amen. If the outcome's bad, amen. And then Daniel it says in Daniel chapter seven verse 10, uh, 6, verse 10, it says, When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, 
He went home. This is the law to say that if you pray to anyone except King Darius, that you'll get thrown into the lion's den. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. He said, you can threaten me. You can tell me that my life is in peril or in danger and I'm going to do what I'm going to do because I'm going to trust God regardless. So let's not lower our expectation. Let's not lower our expectation. Let's expect God for great things. Let's expect that he's going to come through in miraculous ways. You know, we're praying for Jeanette Simpson. We're praying for Daz's Uncle Ray, both who have been given, um, like told that they're not going to survive the cancer that they've currently got. We are praying and believing that they will be healed. We are trusting and knowing that God is not only able, but God is willing to heal them. And yet, no matter what, we'll keep trusting in him. No matter what. So we lift our faith and we learn from these boys. We learn from the leper as well. I don't know if you remember in Mark when the leper came to Jesus and he said, uh, he said I know that you're able to heal me, Jesus. So if you're willing, can you heal me? And it says that Jesus became indignant. He said, if I am willing, that's, a, that's who I am. Of course I'm willing. And he stretched out his hand and healed the leper. So let's learn from the boys who say, even if he doesn't, we'll still trust him. Let's learn from the leper and say, well, of course he's willing. And let's learn from Daniel who says, I'm going to be resolute in my faith regardless of what happens. Let's not lower our expectations. Let's not ignore our experience, but let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And let's remember that he went all the way to the cross to show us how much he would enter into our suffering. He wouldn't leave us in the midst of our suffering, but he would leave heaven and come to earth and be part of our suffering and go all the way to death on our behalf. Let's remember that that's the God that we serve and keep our eyes fixed on him. And his words were, in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have trouble. So that's a promise. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So in the end, he wins. I don't know if your expectation is for trouble, but it's very clear that in the world we'll have trouble, but he gives his peace in the midst of that. He enters into the midst of our trouble and says, I'll shoulder the trouble for you and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So just before we continue the conversation today, I want to ask you the question, have you put your faith in him? Have you put your trust in him? And if we could just be having our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just to block out distractions as you ponder that question. And if, you're, if your faith is strong and your trust in Jesus is strong, I just ask you right now to be praying for everyone who might have a moment of decision to be made because you know what hangs in the balance here. You know what's going on right now. And I would ask you, is your faith in Jesus, do you believe that he is able to enter into the midst of your trouble and give you peace? In fact, have you put your trust in him to the point of knowing that he is completely for you and not against you? Have you put your trust in him to the point where you trust him with your life even though there's trouble in it? And are you willing to surrender your life to him and go his way and not your way anymore? Maybe you've been offended with him and you're still walking out that offence. Maybe you're worried that he's not going to come through for you in the future because you feel like he hasn't come through for you in the past. 
And as everyone right now is praying for you in this moment of decision, I wonder, one, if you're offended with God, if you would decide to let that offence go and you would be willing to put your trust in Him again. If you've never put your trust in Him, I wonder if today might be the day that you would start to trust Him and surrender your life to Him. So in the quietness of this moment, will you make a decision? It doesn't matter what I see because God knows your heart. And he sees what you're in the midst of right now. So everyone in the room with me today is going to pray a prayer. And if you're online or you're in the room and you want to pray this prayer from the bottom of your heart, I encourage you to. It's a simple prayer of putting your faith in Jesus and trusting in him. So if you could pray it, everyone in this room after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming into my suffering. Thank you for not leaving me on my own. Thank you for going to the cross for me. Thank you for dying on my behalf. I put my trust in you today. I receive you today, Lord Jesus. I want to go your way and not my own. Any offence I have, heal it, Lord God. I choose to let it go. I love you. I trust you. I want to follow you. Amen. Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.